There's no way to understate how big this weekend was for BC football. A stunning victory that really redefined the way the season's going. We're going to talk about the stunner in rally as BC football gets their first ranked win in eight years, defeating NC State 21-20. This is excitement all over the place about this win. We're going to get into it with Mitch Wolf. We'll also get into a little bit of a basketball talk. All this and more on today's Locked on BC. You are Locked on Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on BC, this is AJ Black. Happy Monday, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Sling TV. Sling TV, you will not miss any action when you check out Sling TV. Don't miss this week's matchups between the Eagles and Notre Dame on Sling. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. All right, we're going to be talking about this NC State win. I know a lot of folks are really excited about it, and probably no one more excited than Mitch Wolf, but I'm just kidding. Mitch, how's it going? Oh, I'm sorry, Adrian. You caught me at a bad time. I was busy drinking a nice full glass of NC State fan tears. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it, this is a big win for Boston College, and I think we're both really pumped about this because I was saying to Mitch off the air, I went into this weekend thinking, okay, I'm going to set this Monday episode up where I'm going to just talk about basketball because no one's going to want to talk about BC because they probably got smoked by NC State and We'll just look at that fun win against Detroit Mercy, which we'll get into. But they stopped. This was a a win I don't think anyone saw. And so, Mitch, you were watching it. What are some of your thoughts right off the bat about how that happened? You know where where this came came from. I mean, so like I, you know, you said like nobody expected this. You know, I I kind of you know sussed out something with the Louisville game earlier this season and got that one right in terms of the final result. This one, you know, we agreed that. NC State was probably going to cover, you know, it was going to, it was going to be a blowout 18, you know, spread was like 18 points, uh, maybe minus or plus or minus half a point here or there. And after the first, you know, 10 minutes of the game, it was looking like that's exactly what was going to happen. You know, NC State jumps out to this 14 point lead. They go up and down the field. No problem. Slicing up the BC defense. BC answers with the score. Like, okay, that's nice. Good thing. They, you know, finally able to get some points on the board. And after that, it just turns into this defensive slog where you know, NC State starts turning the ball over and BC moves the ball a little bit here and there, but it, they're mostly punting. And in the second half, BC defense kind of does what, did, does what they did at the end of the Duke game last week is they start creating these turnovers. They keep giving the offense opportunities. The offense generally kind of struggles to take advantage of all of them, but they get that final drive with less than three minutes to go and they go down and essentially kill the rest of the clock and then score with what was it four to 14 seconds remaining yep. to, and then extra point gives them lead. I mean, it was, it was crazy. There was really no way for me to expect this. I mean, and it's funny because the rest of the game played out about how I would have expected in terms of, you know, BC couldn't run the ball to save their lives. They couldn't really pass protect much, especially when NC state blitzed. And on the other side of the ball, NC state moved the ball decently. Well, you know, even after those first two drives, you know, they got into the red zone a few more times, kicked two field goals. They, Went for it on a fourth down to try to, you know, kind of end the game with a touchdown or not, not, you know, put the game away essentially. But BC did stop them. So, you know, up until really that final drive, you're kind of thinking, okay, this is kind of going the way you expect. And you're 
getting your mind ready for thinking, okay, well, BC is just going to break my heart again and screw up in some major way. And at the end of the day, they actually came through and won the game, which was crazy. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I, I say in a match, I needed a weekend off from BC football. And I was like, this is the weekend I'm going to go. I just had no expectations. I'm going to go with my kid. I went to the children's museum, which whew, that's an experience in itself. And I listened to, I listened to the first half in the car on the way home and then watched the second half when I got back. And this game, you know, I, I, I think it was sloppy. <laughs> Still was sloppy, but it showed a lot about this team and, and, and the potential for the future um, in the way that they played. And yeah, I, I think folks need to chill a little bit on the Emmett Moorhead talk. Um, I think he had a good game, but he definitely looked like a freshman out there at times, which is fine. You know, he's, he's going to do that. Uh, but Joseph Griffin Jr. had a a big game and was playing hard. Not, apparently. I mean, not not really. I mean, he he had. I think they they didn't even target him really until that touchdown throw. Was right, right. Crazy. Yeah. Well, he had the big the big catch at the end. Yes, yeah, exactly. But I mean, other than that, he was much a non fact, and it was so funny listening to the announcer saying for that entire drive. Essentially, they've got to get it to Zay Flowers. They've got to get it to Zay Flowers. But they went to other, you know the other guys, and I I kind of they're saying that, and I totally get it. But I assume that. NC State was tri- double or even triple covering Zay on that drive. So you, that forces you to go to guys like Takis and Jalen Gill and even Dino Tomlin had a huge play. And yep. those guys, you know, Gill had a that major gaffe on special teams earlier in the half. Takis had a few drops and, you know, didn't have the best game. But aside from that final drive where he had two huge catches, drew the final defensive pass interference, and Gill had a bunch of really good catches in this game too, contested catches over the middle, you know, making some big plays where he hasn't been a huge part of the offense. So it, that was a really cool thing to see. And, and you saw the offensive line, you know, NC State wasn't really rushing. They were only rushing three guys. They were dropping a lot of guys into coverage, but it was good to see the offensive line, you know, hold up to give more at least time to try to find guys downfield to keep that drive alive. Yeah. And let's talk about Zay again. Uh, you know, these are all things that we're going to talk about, but this win is so big. He broke, you know, the school's career receiving record and had two touchdown catches. And I I think it was the second one I saw that, again, you watch him make these plays and he looked like, I think it was the second week in a row that he looked like he was going to get tackled at like the 30 yard line. And here, get it. Like NC State had no chance of tackling him. Talk about what he means because, you know, it's, I remember when he first started and he was a jet sweep guy and, you know, a guy that he could just kind of move around a little bit, but now he is, he's leaving Boston college as their leading wide receiver. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible transition for a guy who has worked really hard at his craft every year. He's gotten better every year, even though last year, you know, you didn't, you couldn't really see it as much just because, the offense struggled to consistently get him the ball, but this year you're really, even again, this year where they're still having some issues getting him the ball consistently, you're seeing the fruits of those labors come through. You know, last week against Duke, they, you know, some people put up this play where I think it was on the big, the 20 yard rush by Alex Broom, where Flowers was, you know, blocking aggressively downfield for the whole run. And, you know, for a guy who's five ten on a good day and 175 pounds soaking wet and he's, absolutely blocking the hell out of his defender 20, 20, 30 yards downfield. That's something that you're not going to expect from a guy like Zay flowers. And, but then again, like you see these other plays where 
he's doing what he's known to be do- known to be good at and just does it at such a way where he is completely unstoppable. You see it on the play where he just gets wide open on that deep crossing route for the first touchdown. You see him catching balls on the sidelines, you know, through contested catches. And that's something where he's really improved as well. And of course, the easy plays where you get him the ball on a quick drag route and he's able to, you know, get 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 around one guy, turn the corner and just get upfield for a huge gain and touchdown. Those are the kind of plays if you're thinking about playing Madden or NCAA where if the CPU does it and that happens, you just throw your controller because you, you defend the play pretty well and the game just breaks itself to hurt you. And that's kind of what Zay Flowers is doing to opponents defenses. And this is not a slight at Alex Amadon or Richie Gunnell or any of the wide receivers that came before him. But I, I'm going to say this and I, I know some of the older folks are going to get pissed at me, but he's a he's a wide receiver that is in a class of his own. Even if even if you want to like try to adjust for, you know, the at the athleticism era difference you know you 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 look at guys now and you just know that they're gonna be more athletic than guys in the past just because of how much they're training and all that i just don't think and again like i haven't been as i haven't been a bc fan for as long as some people obviously but i i don't think there's a legitimate argument you can make where because zay flowers aside from maybe being like okay he can't do some of the things joseph griff can do in terms of you know being a vertical contested catch receiver where He's, you know, fighting with a guy at the catch point to make catches. Maybe he's not as good at that, but he's really now coming into his own where he can be a complete receiver. And at the next level, I don't think he's going to be able to be all of that just because of the improved quality of NFL defensive backs. He'll probably be relegated to more of a slot player. But watching him in the, the color commentator, Roddy Jones comments on it saying, you know, he reminds me of Debo Samuel. And I thought that was a bit lofty just in terms of the size difference between the two. But mm-hmm. If you think about guy, a lot some of the guys, maybe like think about some of the guys in the Kansas City Chiefs offense, your Mikol Hartmans, your Kadarius Tonys, these guys where they're just so fast and so quick in the open field that you have to find ways to get them the ball because they can be so explosive for your offense and turn plays that another receiver would gain two or maybe even five yards. They can turn those into 15, 20 plus yard chunk plays. And that's what that's just a s- extremely valuable skills skill to have to on your offense. All right, uh, we can keep talking about Zay, but we, we have to keep this uh, keep this rolling. In a moment, I want to talk about how big of a win this was. I want to talk about uh, and, and really look at how important it was and where this puts BC uh, moving f- forward in the future. But let's let's talk a little bit about inflation. Inflation has all us thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less, dining out less, or buying less from a grocery store. We can all agree there's nothing fun about less. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With Upside, I don't have to cut back because I get cash back on every purchase. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer from wherever you're buying on Upside. Check in at that business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and boom, you're going to get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. It's such an easy way to, to, to save money. And that's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash on the first purchase of $10. Again, that's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. All right. This here is I was told that we weren't allowed to talk politics on the show. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, when the, when the advertisers want to, of it's course. a little little different, right? So this was a big a, a big win, and 
a season that I think many of us had just assumed was was gone. And it is, I mean, it, it, it is for all incentives purposes, it is gone. But this seems like, you know, you you obviously you want your wins against your Yukons and stuff, but this win just seemed really big. And it, and it could all go to the fact that BC hasn't won against a ranked opponent in in eight years, that Jeff Halfley hasn't had a marquee win in three years, that you have all these young guys doing all these good things. Mitch, talk about like what this win means to the program because it seems like it means quite a bit. I think it's huge because I think it the, the biggest part of what it does is it's kind of seizes that downward momentum you had this program going through towards the end of this season. You you, you kind of save what was like you said a lost season. And again, the season is lost in terms of you're not going to make a bowl game uh, unless I mean if they went out maybe, but definitely unlikely. So you're not going to have the, that postseason bowl game win to you know carry momentum into the next season. And but what this can do is you know arrest that down momentum in terms of you know getting guys in the building. And and I think that's the thing Jeff Halfley was talking about so much is that these guys didn't want to quit. Like if if this team had quit, they they wouldn't have won this game. And you saw yeah. that on I would say both sides of the ball. Even with the offense struggling, they they kept trying. They kept going at it. They were still trying to make plays, and a team, I guess, like I was saying, like a team that had quit wouldn't be do, wouldn't be of, wouldn't be playing this hard towards the end of the season. That again is lost. So, and Halfley spoke about that as well, saying, you know, I've seen how hard these guys are working, and things just haven't broke their way. Guys, you know, certain guys haven't been executing. Like, and he says he put some of it on himself, himself. Like, we're not coaching well enough, and we're not putting these guys in good enough positions to play. He talked about how he wishes he had played Dino Tomlin more earlier in the season. That you know stuff stuff like that. So he'd be saying like you know I trust these guys and I'm, tr- I'm I trust the players on this team that they are working hard. They do want to win and they are doing everything they can in their power to win. Just and sometimes just things aren't breaking their way. So and but this one you finally get that you're positively rewarded for the hard work that you are putting in. And I think that to kind of break the fall of this of this season with this huge win is, is massive for this program, massive for these players. So it's, it's, it's just really great to see overall. And if you're out there listening, leave your thoughts in the comment section as well. Um, We'll read some of your comments later on. If there's anything that you're thinking, if you're excited, if you don't really care, uh, just let your, leave your thoughts down there as well. And I think another big point too, um, and and this is more from where I, where I'm at, obviously as two, four, sevens, uh, BC uh, publisher, uh, this is big for recruiting. And I'm going to have an article up on Eagle Insider later today about uh, what the recruits thought of this win, because you've seen it over the last couple of weeks where some of the recruits are starting to get a little bit hedgy with their, uh, with their commitments. And we already lost Khalil Ali. He's he already decommitted and probably is going to end up at Syracuse, but a big win like this really showed the future of the program and showed, okay, guys, yeah, we're not going to make a bowl game, but here's what what where we're aiming at. And yeah, we've had some tough times, and but we're moving in the right direction. So I think recruiting is another big win. Um, and Mitch, hey, I mean, with with uh, Syracuse really stumbling towards the finish line and BC kind of getting there, getting some mojo back, maybe that game on the final week of the season, maybe it goes in a, not the way we expected. Right, right. Um, I think uh, some folks I was talking to, my wife specifically, was like, "Man, she she's a BC grad too," and she goes, 
they hadn't beaten a, a ranked opponent in eight years. I go, yep, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but this feels almost like a bowl win. Like this is like that big of a win. Like I honestly, like I, 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 other than the practices I asked, I would ask like, would you rather have a win against a ranked opponent or a win against, you know, Rice. East Carolina? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like this win means that much. And you're now looking at the last couple of games and Notre Dame is going to be tough. I'm not going to say that that's not going to be easy, but as you mentioned, Syracuse, like Nate's bad, but if you win two out of the last three games, You've got some serious momentum heading into the well, not serious. You have some momentum heading into the offseason. At least, that, I mean that moment. That momentum is better than the momentum you would have had if you lost all three games. Essentially, you know, like if finishing the season where essentially, like, what would there if they if they had lost out, their last win would have been Louisville, right? So, like, yeah, I mean, four and eight is with two with two wins in the final three weeks is miles ahead of two and or four and eight with two wins in the final three weeks is miles ahead of two and 10 with well, like six or seven straight losses. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and at least you, you can see like, it, it, I, as someone who has to cover this, I, I, I am, uh, 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 breathing a sigh of relief here because I don't think I could last eight months of listening to people belly gripe about everything that went wrong this season. And that's all we could talk about. You need some positivity here, and I'm just glad it happened. And I, I'm, I'm first to admit, I predicted BC to lose 31 to 10 in this game, so I'm not anywhere close to, to having any bragging rights to think that BC can pull this out. And I know I heard the comments of some of the coaches like are halfway like, yeah, no one believed in any of them. And I know that they read our stuff, so I'm sure he saw what I said. Um, I mean, it's not just it's not just us. It's I, I everybody. Every prognosticator whether it be on the BC side, the NC state side, the betting side, the general media side, I, I, I didn't see it on game day, but I can't imagine that anybody on game day picked BC to win this game and probably not even cover it. I don't think, I don't think BC was going to be any, but any of the panels super dog this week. So, you know, it's not like we were the only ones in the wrong here. Right. Right. Okay. So we're I'm going to have a lot more to talk about this, this, this week, but uh, we're at a 30 minute podcast and I can't, I have a whole thing on basketball. We have to talk about Mitch, before you go, we got a couple of comments I want to get into and two, both of them, I think are, are, are worth talking about. Let's start with Jeffrey Griffin, who says my favorite part of any BC upset win is reading of is reading the NC state Twitter feeds and message boards. The tears were so sweet yesterday, especially with breaking that home winning streak. Yeah, the uh, home winning streak that they were bringing up halfway through the second quarter, like it was already in the bag, which again, you know, it was surprising if you see one. So I, I kind of get it. But they were I thought they were talking about that a little early, given that the game, you know, NC State had had opened up that early lead, but they hadn't, you know, opened it any wider when they started talking about. It. And I, I think they even asked Dave Doran about it what, going into halftime, like, hey, how does it feel that you're about to get this home winning streak? He was like, OK, this this is a bit of a jinx. And yeah, I mean, so I. I I can't really give it any other word than like than butthurt of how to describe NC State fans after this win because they yeah. had ample, ample, ample opportunities to win this game. And you know, for all their belly aching about the oh, I got the flag. Like, Want me to read you, read you, uh, Joe Jagigolo or whatever his name is? That's a yeah. flag you throw to save Clemson or Ohio State or Tennessee for two and seven BC, huh? On the road, huh? Unreal. Yeah, it's so, almost it's almost like that. Even with that argument it must've been a really egregious penalty for them to even throw it. And on that note about the referees, if you look at the 
total penalties over the course of the game. BC was penalized 12 times for 97 yards, NC State eight times for 67 yards. So a difference of four penalties and 30 yards in NC State's favor. So you can miss me with that crap. I mean, the, the number of abs of questionable penalties that were called on BC in this game, you know, triples or quadruples that of NC State, Elijah Jones specifically. And then the absolute hosing of Cole Batson when he hit MJ Morris after Morris tried to juke him, couldn't do anything, and then hit, hit him with a late slide to draw the flag. So I don't want to hear any of that crap from this team. That And I, I wanted to bring this up also that this reminds me of the Skip Bayless tweet where he says, I was wrong about being wrong about the Clippers. And that, that's how I feel about the Sensei team. I was wrong about being wrong about them being complete frauds. Um, and also, like, if NC State fans want writers want to be mad, be mad at your offensive coordinator for whatever that offensive game plan was. Don't get mad at the refs. That's just lazy. Your offensive coordinator put together a, a terrible plan uh, to attack BC and had every opportunity. To I, do- I, I wouldn't even I mean, I, I would even say I, th- I think the plan initially, the, the opening script, if you will, was great. And they tore BC apart and then a complete inability to adjust after, you know, and MJ yep. Morris kind of revealed himself. He didn't, this is something that I hadn't checked in this might've been because he got dinged up later in the game, but he didn't attempt a single pass outside to the left, the entire game. So pretty much everything was from the left hat or from the left, from the left side numbers over. So he was never throwing that way. It was always to his right. And yep. very rarely threw a deep. He had, I think the first pass there, Thomas, which was a very contested throw by the Jason Matry, And then had, I think one other one, and he threw an interception deep. So, you know, that was the thing. It was all intermediate stuff, all mostly to the intermediate right. So, yeah, I mean, and State fans, L plus ratio plus whatever, you know. Yep. And then we have another comment from Dan Kent. Anyway, Halfley would start Jakovic versus Notre Dame. I hope they will play for the future and continue the momentum with Moorhead. I'm wondering if the plan was for Jerk to return against his ex-team. Well, I, I'll jump in on this one because I heard Halfley's comments uh, today at, at the press media availability. And it's a, it sounds like an operation table based off of all the things that are wrong with Jakovic right now. He's got a concussion. He's got a knee injury. He's got um, a rib injury. He's got, like, he's got like four or five things. And – I, I think that that is, I think at least some of that is true, but I also think that <laughs> I think that Moorhead's performance in these last two games, especially this one, even though he had, he did uh, throw two interceptions, but he did lead the comeback drive. Obviously I think that that gives Halfley a nice cover to not have to, you know, switch out a quarterback who's been playing pretty well the last few games. Although and I, I think that if Dracovic was healthier, I think that would be a matter of discussion because I like giving him that opportunity to start against the former team, but with how Moorhead has played. And I have to wonder maybe if more, if Moorhead doesn't lead that touchdown drive and BC loses the game by touchdown, I, I, I think I wonder if there is a, a legitimate debate about starting Dracovic, but because of how the game ended, I just really think there isn't a way you can go back to Dracovic. Not, and again, not, not meant to be a slate against him. Just you got to ride the hot hand at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think Moorhead's going to be the guy. And, you know, you'll just have basically you're just going to have to listen. Um, we got one last comment. I just, I, I just saw that one and I, I, I think no. I got, I got All right, I'll get now. to it. Here we go. Um, and then we have Starbolt09. <laughs> Does our best win in eight years, NC State, erase our worst loss in 100 years, UConn? Um, no, because like, like we said, this game was a slog. It wasn't like, like BC ended up winning, but. You know, I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, they got some, you know, they, like we were saying, like the whole year, like turnover luck just never went BC's way this game. And, and BC didn't get any points off of it, but 
you know, I think it was what it was like three consecutive drives where they had two fumbles, the interception where finally just things started to break BC's way in terms of that. And they had, did have in terms of special teams, which is something we talked about going into this game, you did have that big muff punt. Well, not even muff punt, just a fumble on the punt return by Jalen Gill, which was like the, the commentator called it right. He, he made the right play trying to get upfield, split the gunners. They just hit him perfectly to get the ball out. But other than that, you know, there wasn't really that big special teams gaffe, I would say. I guess that's that's the one, but there wasn't a consistent problem that I would say if it impacted BC's ability to win the game. And I, I'm going to go ahead, and I hate saying this because I've made a career out of beating on UConn, but I, I don't think this UConn's the worst loss in a while because I, I can, I, even in the last 10 years, they're a bull team right now. They just beat me. Um, and I know it stinks because it's UConn. <laughs> you don't want to lose to UConn. And believe me, I don't. I'm not discrediting that. Um, I'm saying there's a, like, I go back to 2012 against army, that team that lost to Stony Brook the week before, and then goes out and puts, it was like 60 points against BC that year. There's other bad losses out there. And I, I, I think there's a lot of in between in the, in this being the best win in a while and the worst loss for UConn. But that's just, that's my, uh, that's my soapbox on that one. And we've got a couple, man, the comments are coming in crazy. All right. Bruce it happens when you win. <laughs> Bruce says, yeah, I know. Right. The the L ratio is hilarious, Mitch. Yeah. Just, I mean, that dude just needs to go outside, touch grass. I mean, they were lucky to, I mean, NC state was lucky to even, I mean, NC state is also kind of like, again, like I, I, I was wrong about being wrong about them. You know, they, I think they were able to squeak by some wins, you know, against a wake forest team. That's kind of collapsing. You've got, they had a close win against Virginia tech who, you know, is rivaling BC for the worst team in the ACC. And yeah, I, I mean, if you, I mean, wa- I mean, watching the game, it was just clear. Like, this NC State team is not good. If they were good, they would have been able to score more points and they would have been able to win this game because BC has not been playing well up into this game, you know, but their defense made a lot, BC's defense made a lot of plays that gave, gave the offense more opportunities to at least do something. And again, again, just put it, put it succinctly, NC State had plenty of opportunities to go out and win this game. And despite having what, like 30 to 40 fifth and sixth year players um, on senior day, they couldn't do it. And that's the bottom line. All right. I got to do a quick ad read. I was going to talk about basketball and I will for like a minute, but I'm going to bring back Mitch to talk more (laughs) about this game because I got to keep this under like 35 minutes and we're just going to keep talking football because I think everyone wants to talk football. So uh, now let's this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by nissan the thrilling designs behind the new lineup from nissans are intended to empower in vehicles as capable as the drivers themselves when i think of unbelievabilities in the field for this week's thrilling moment i mean there's no other choice it's going to be the touchdown pass to joe griffin with 14 seconds left bc drove down the field they were down by a touchdown or six point uh five point or five points um, and come back six points and come back and win 21 to a great one-handed catch in the end zone by the big freshman from Springfield central. Now the segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you all in the new frontier Armada or Pathfinder today available now at NissanUSA.com. Now, this is AJ Black. We're back again. I have every intention of talking about BC and Detroit Mercy during this game, but uh, everyone wants to talk football. It was a huge win. I'm going to go really quick. BC had a great win on Saturday, uh, Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, excuse me, in a matinee game against Detroit Mercy. If you didn't get a chance to get the game out, you really need to go back and watch that. Mason Madsen hits a big shot at the end of the game for the Cardiac Eagles. It was a win that I don't think anyone thought was going to happen near the end. It just looked like, 
they were uh, not hanging on. But for the second straight time, BC looks like a team uh, that is finding ways to win, and that's all you can ask for. But the big issue with BC basketball at this point is the injuries. Prince Oligby goes down with an injury. The hand goes down with an injury. TJ Bickerstaff goes down with an injury. It sounds like all three are not major injuries, but that's now five guys in their top 10 that are out with injuries. So BC is going to play tonight against Maine, uh, against their former uh, former assistant coach, Chris Markwood, who is their uh, head coach of Maine now. Should be an interesting one in Conti for him. But I'm going back to football because I, I, I don't get opportunities like this often to talk about really good things about BC football. Uh, so... Well, before you, uh, before we get into that, folks, if you're out there and you want great BC videos sent directly to your feed and you want to help support our podcast, hit that subscribe button right now to get notified whenever we go live and get all your BC notification uh, videos sent directly to you. Just hit that subscribe button right now. It really helps. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers closer every day. And I'd love you, if you're listening right now, to become another one of our subs. Let's go through some more of our comments. I want to talk about. I want to. I want to do that last comment about basketball. Actually, all right, because I, I I got something to say about that. So, uh, AJ, I do you th- let me read the question because I don't think anyone yeah. can, they listen to the pod. AJ, do you think BC's basketball team has a chance to win twenty games this year? Hell no, this team is barely beating Cornell and Detroit Mercy. Like, I think it's good that they are winning these close games, but that is not going to last against an ACC schedule. I think this team is going to be lucky to get to 15 wins. I mean, this this is this is exactly what happened last year, where you're getting hyped over this team that is still getting still developing, and I feel like people are going to you know lose their minds again, and then they're actually going to start losing to real opponents, and then everything's going to crashing down again. So let's pump the brakes. Let's actually beat a, let's beat some bad teams comfortably instead of. Uh, going through what a six or eight minute scoring drought until finally getting you know a few shots to fall at the end of a game. Yeah, I, I think we got to pump the brakes real hard on BC basketball being a, a good team this year. But let's go back. I'm, I'm going to disagree with Mitch on this one because I think BC is really banged up right now. They're missing a ton of their guys, and the ACC is is real bad right now. I don't know if anyone's been listening to some of the other um, results. Louisville just lost to Wright State and Bellarmine heard of before and have dropped to zero and two florida state just dropped to ucf and bell uh no stetson they're zero and two so every like acc teams are dropping like flies in these buy games so uh, if bc can get healthy and i think that's going to be the big thing with this basketball team if they can get healthy they're going to be in better shape but that's going to be a big question mark right because if if they continue to lose guys and you have to put big minutes on some of these other kids uh, they're in big trouble. But if they get Demar Langford and Quinton Post back, we'll have to talk. But I, I think it's too early to see. Yeah, right. and that, that that's kind of all I'm saying too. It's like yeah. I, I, I'm not, I don't follow college basketball in general as closely. But it, let's let's get into the real schedule before we start. You know, claiming this team's going to win the ACC or whatever. So you know, yeah. We, we, we yeah. So let's let's go back to football. All right, so let's go to Je- Jeffrey Griffin has another comment. I was having PTSD imagining Daz calling a run on one of those last plays at the goal line and running out of time. Yeah, I think the the comment before it, or the there's a comment around it as well. Oh, the one before by Daniel Kelleher that says, uh, the question is, have to be able to run the ball even a little bit, though. T- totally agree. I mean, BC could not get the run game going at all. I mean, the, the NC, NC State's defense was completely resetting line of scrimmage anytime they wanted to run the ball. And it, it was especially frustrating in the second half when, BC was still like starting drives 
with it start first and 10 and run run play and lose a yard and it was pretty much like every time and still just running those situations and i think bc really need, it needs teams to transition to you got to pass be able to run because a lot of the times they're still coming out in 12 personnel indicating that they're going to run on early downs and then the defense knows it's coming and yep. luckily you know notre dame's defense is good not i would i still would say it's not nc state good and syracuse's defense is definitely not anywhere near the other two so you should be able to get some more success running the ball in the last two games, but I think you've got to, you know, adjust the way you're approaching running the ball because it definitely is important, but the current, the current philosophical bent of how they want to run the ball is just not working. And again, like the, like the offensive line struggled a lot early on when, especially when NC State would bring the blitz and use a lot of stunts and stuff, which is something we've come to expect. So you know, I think again, it's good that you know the offense line is still staying healthy, so they're going to get even more chemistry together, which is great to see. So, you know, maybe they can you know get back to where they were against Duke, and you know, earlier maybe points early in the season where they can actually you know move the ball on the ground a little bit, and that should help the offense. But again, I think they need to pass to run at least in these last two games. Yeah, it feels like those those times that they're just running the ball for the sake of running the ball, they're just wasting down. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. And I mean, in general, that that's running the ball in early downs is you're essentially just wasting time, wasting points and wasting plays. So. All right. And so we have another comment from Peter Caruso, who says, I don't know if BC will be bowl eligible or a top 25 team next year. But with Moorhead and Griffin, I think we'll be totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I think the big question is going to be that offensive line and um you're gonna you're gonna have to wait to see who comes back if Mahogany is here and Kevin Klein and uh, Dur- Finn is gonna be gone. I think. Um, who am I missing? I mean that's 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 pretty much it. I mean everybody yeah. else is still pretty young, so you're still gonna have. Pretty, and then you're you get, get like a guy like Jude Bowery. You know, does he play more? Uh, does he does he kind of replace Jack Conley or does he yep. fly slight slide in a different position? I mean, next year, I, I agree. I don't think. Um. A bowl, uh, top 25 is in the cards, but bowl eligible definitely. I mean, just look at the out of conference. You and we said that going into this year, so that, that's a, that's you know, that's a critique. But your out of conference is NIU at home, Holy Cross at home, at Army, and then home against UConn at the end of October. And luckily, those first two games, like you're playing a MAC opponent at home and then you're playing an FCS team at home. So, unlike this year, where your week one was you know, playing a another power five team that again, not very good, but you know, power five is much different than FCS or even Mac. And then on the road, short week against an AC opponent. So this week, this next year, you've got two very winnable games start the season, both at home. And then, you know, your AC schedule, you've got Florida state, Virginia tech, Miami and Virginia at home. And so so Virginia tech is going to be still doing a rebuild. I think that's a likely win. Miami's a dumpster fire right now. They, you got to think they'll improve next year, though. Virginia also, a, I mean, also a dumpster fire. <laughs> I mean, if you saw yep. how they started that game against Pitt, I mean, that was it was like one of those glitch in the system games. You're like, wait, did this actually happen? But you know, so if you essentially if you win your non-con schedule and you can beat the two Virginia schools, that's six wins. And then you know, then you've got, like I said, Florida State at home, and then you've got road games at Louisville. At, and you'll have to be facing Louisville finally without Malik Cunningham. You'll be going to Syracuse, who, you know, they they might be missing Sean Tucker. You've got at Georgia Tech, who's going to be have a new coach, and they'll be in a rebuilding year, and then at Pitt. And, you know, that's probably going to be a, a decent game. So uh, I think I think bowl eligible is definitely in the cards next year, and I think Emmett Moorhead and Joe Griffin are going to be a huge part of that. But getting to top 25, I think that, I think that's, that's a little uh, 
out of reach. Yeah. And um, I am, I think I'm having technical difficulties. Right I can now. do some. So we got Chris asks if BC pulls off a five and seven season, do they deserve a bowl game after what they've been through the past two seasons? I think that I initially disagree. I initially said, no, they don't deserve it, but that is a good point about the last two years. Um, but I still don't think they'll get one, even though they do have the APR thing to help yeah. out. But I think Halfley might be wise enough to say like, we're not going to try that. So, and I, and I think I've read that they're, they have, it, it looks like they're going to have plenty of teams to fill it. And mm-hmm. there's a team in stores that is um, <laughs> that even if they win six wins, uh, I aren't technically a lock to make a bowl game, which I thought was interesting. Um, all right, we got a lot. I got to wrap this up, guys. So we're gonna probably close down the comment section in a second because you guys have a lot of good things to talk about. This is what I love. This is what I've been missing. As I was hoping for the season, and a lot of good talk instead of when are you gonna fire Halfley? When are you gonna fire Halfley? That's it's been like the last six weeks. So, uh, what's Tomlin's role in this team? The last two games next year, I think he's gonna be one of the the probably the starting wide receivers. I think BC next, and you can disagree with me. I think BC going into the next season is gonna go with Griffin. Uh, Tomlin and probably Lewis Bond or and Dante Reynolds as their probably top four wideouts. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in terms of yeah, I think I think Tom's going to be probably the starting Z. He'll essentially take over yep. Zay Flowers' role. Uh, you'll ha- see Joseph Griffin be the X, and then figure something out with the rest of the guys who's the slot receiver. You're probably going to see BC. I would imagine do a little more eleven, maybe even ten personnel next year because I think they're going to kind of be going through an overhaul at the tight end position. Uh, in terms of you know Jeremiah Franklin and uh, Hans Lillis being the two starters, so you, know, you might see a bit of a changing of the guard there. But I mean, he's just—I mean, the guy just makes plays. That—that's really what yep. he does at this point, and he's making you know all these like contested catches, which is great to see. You know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see next year when he is you know a true starter and like a primary target of this offense. We'll see how he had, how he responds to that promotion. But I mean, I think you're going to see his role expand. I think it's interesting that you're seeing. Um, well, you saw Joseph Griffin not really play as much for the rest of this game. And like you said, he might be hurt a little banged up. But you saw Jalen Gill get a lot more reps as an outside receiver as opposed to a slot receiver, which I thought was interesting. Yep. And you really saw him, Zay, and then Tomlin kind of all rotate in and out of the slot, which was interesting to see how they uh, divided that rotation. And I'm going to jump in on this one. Uh, is there any speedy and explosive receivers who are uncommitted or transferring? Please come to the Heights from Peter Caruso. There is Nate Johnson. And I'm going to tell you right now, it, uh, if someone was asking me about like a speedy wide receiver, if Jaden Williams is not going to be the starter next year, Nate Johnson is a wide receiver from Florida. Who's committed to BC. I just actually talked to him tonight. Um, he's still committed. He is fast. And he's, and I, I keep hearing from scouts. So this is a good kid kind of like Griffin. That's probably going to, crack the 2d pretty quick uh so keep your eye open on him he's, he's essentially then just gonna be the heir apparent to zay from what yep. you know it's, yep. if you think Florida. about how if you think about how zay came out to the team in 2019 like he was you know, you, you read the roster you're like oh yeah they're gonna be starting this true freshman who's 510 and 150 pounds you're saying what i'm not sure that's gonna work and that yep. first game his first year he absolutely blew up so yep that that works um Oh, I like this question about the offensive line. And then um, our last, yeah, we'll get this to our last question. And then uh, I'll let Teddy, uh, Teddy Edson uh, end it. Dan Kent says, what should BC do about the offensive line during the offseason? I think that that's the big question for next year. Should we hit the transfer portal? And is Mahogany transferring out? Mitch, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on this one. All right. So the the last question, last part of the question is kind of the most concrete. Uh, there's been some rumors that it's a, that there's been some rumors about it. I, I can't, we can't really confirm or we can't really confirm anything. 
Um, I think there's a chance he comes back. And it, I mean, if he does and he's healthy, he's obviously a starter. Uh, in terms of the rest of the line, Ozzy Trapillo at left tackle, Drew Kendall at center are are still starters. So you've got left guard and then right tackle. And you assume that Kevin Klein is going to come back, probably lock up that right tackle job. He wasn't super impressive in one and a half games, but you know, it's one and a half games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, he's going to have some time to get better in the off season and you know, sensibly compete with guys. You know, if Conley comes back, compete with him again and compete with Jude Bowery and some of the other guys. I'm not sure how uh, Kahapea and uh, is it Matt? No, who's the other one? Uh, uh, Reagan. Reagan. I was going to say Reagan, yeah. Uh, compete with Reagan for that spot maybe. And then left guard, you got a lot of guys you can plug in now. you got a lot of guys with experience. You know, if I, I, ideally, you know, if you if Klein does win the right tackle job again, you can maybe plug Conley in at guard. And if he can stay there, you know, maybe he finally takes a step forward into being a competent starting off AC offensive lineman. If not, you know, you still got a decent amount of guys there. I, I think, I think going out and getting at least one transfer is the best move just for depth purposes, a guy who has ideally, and like I said in the article earlier this season, like I think BC tried to go out and get Tyler Steen, who was transferring out of Vanderbilt and then Alabama came calling and, you know, say what you will, but yep. if, if you're getting recruited by Alabama and BC and Alabama wants you to come be their starting left tackle for Bryce young, you're going to take that, you know, every day and twice on Sundays. So I get that, you know, I think, I think you're going to see Halfley be more aggressive in the portal at that position, even yep. though I think he does like his guys, but I think he recognizes, Hey, like we got to get at least one guy to come in here who has actual playing competent experience at the power five level. Yeah. Jack Funk was the guy. Matt Regan is their tight end. I'm yes. Sorry. Thank right. you. I would say I knew I, cause there was, what was Sean Reagan who was yep. here a few years ago. Yeah. So yeah. Funk is the other guy. And then they've got, I think they got two guys coming, two or three guys coming in in the next. Yeah, they got um, Ryan Mickow and um, Rounce or Rounce. Yeah, uh, Michael Rounce. Yeah, something like that. So, like, you got bodies. It's just a matter of guys getting acclimated to, you know, college football quickly. And I mean, you still have guys like Elijah Krasnovich and, uh, um, God, Kevin Pine, who, (laughs) I'm not really sure what happened with him, but you you have plenty of bodies. It's just a matter of like, can they actually be competent players? So right. I think, I, I think by default, you're going to see the offensive line be better next year because I can't imagine them being worse. All right. Yeah. We got to wrap this up. I'm going to get in trouble with my bosses for uh, having an episode that goes too long, but I don't, I, I'll, I'll stick with this because I think this is a great episode. I'm glad you all stopped by again. If you have not done so already, please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, love having all you commenters out there hitting that subscribe button and getting your comments out to us. Uh, we get some big things planned. Hopefully if we get more commenters on board, uh, subscribing to our channel. So please do that right now. We'll be, I'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to talk about the main game. I, I'm, I still have a lot to talk about in this game uh, on Saturday for BC bat, uh, football. Mitch, where can people find your work? You can find me at, at Mitchell T Wolf, W O L F E on Twitter. Uh, we publishing three stars should be out tomorrow. Uh, again, unfortunately, ESPN has found my secret and it's a lot harder to take clips from games. So I'm going to have to play around to see about making those clips for the rewatch article this week, which will definitely be a fun one to do given that BC actually won the game. A lot of interesting schematic stuff that came from this game uh, on both sides of the ball. So that's really cool to see. And uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did get, I do want to thank everybody for listening. Oh, I was just about to thank everybody for listening and to me last week and follow me on Twitter because I was at 700 Twitter followers today and I'm back down to 699. So whoever, which one of you cowards <laughs> unfollowed, <laughs> fix yourself. 
<laughs> All right, yeah. Make sure you follow Mitch at Mitchell T Wolf. Get, and get I, on I, that. I wasn't tweeting because I, I wasn't tweeting as much from my personal because I was tweeting from the BC account. Um, yeah. but you know. When I'm tweeting my personal during the game, I you know get a little more feisty and in the mix with people. So yep. for the last two games, you definitely want to be following me there. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at AJBlack underscore BC. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all again tomorrow. Take care, everyone, and thanks for listening. <laughs>